This may be a surprise to you. Uh, I am a cisgendered male. Does that surprise you? I'm a male. You're a male? Well, and yet, here we are. Uh, before we begin even this Parsha, I do want to talk about uh, potential misogyny within our Parsha, within the Torah, within our rabbis, within Deuteronomy. Um, but I want to, before we go there, and I just, I'm speaking both as a rabbi and as a male who happens to be cisgendered, meaning I am straight. Uh, and yet, I don't think that should preclude me from debating the issues of feminist uh, nature uh, within our Torah. It is not that Rabbi Bernstein deals with all of the hardcore feminist issues and Micah gets the men's club. Okay? I guess if I could just put that as, as directly as possible. And yet, I think we always have to balance our sensitivities, just as I spoke last week with the veil of ignorance of John Rawls, I must be highly aware of my position and my stature as someone of male white privilege as we debate these uh, very... What was the word you used? Cisgender. So, yeah, that's how I identify. Yes. So this is a new term. Cisgender. Trust me, I'm a rabbi, I was a rabbi in San Francisco, so I've learned this vocabulary. But that's not really where I want to go as much as an opening question, what we've been doing. Hi, re, re, remind me your name again. Rebecca. Great. Barbara. Rebecca. Excellent. Bella. Jody. Good. Shh. Don't worry. Cisgender just means I am not, uh, I don't identify as trans or Q, queer. I am not questioning my non-binary nature. Uh, and I, I, I mean this in all seriousness. This is just how we uh, begin to identify ourselves in the 21st century. What does cis mean? Straight. straight. But C-I-S, does it mean straight? It's fair. Cis means... Well, ortho would be straight. Chemistry. Yes. Chemistry, uh, two things are directly opposite. They're cis. I mean, oh. so That's very interesting. So directly opposite. I am a man. That's what I need who, to know. Thank you. Yes. Take Thank it from a chemist. Thank you, Rita. Okay. Uh, I don't need any benzene. Thank you. Right away. <laughs> so before we delve into this, because this parsha is really, it's really important to understand uh, where feminist critique and our gender status issues in marriage and in adultery and in our family planning laws. Much of it stems from this Parsha in Kitete, and again, 1167. So we're going to be going uh, for our friends online. This is going to be PG 14 and a half. So, uh, but I actually wanted to begin in a different place, and this is something I want you all to consider. Uh, when we look at the Torah, I want to begin with, uh, we haven't said our blessing, Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitshanu BaMitzvotav Vetzivanu LaAsok BeDivrei Torah. And I really, truly welcome, I truly want to begin uh, delving into the Torah with asking the question of Eloheinu Velohe Avotenu. Our gods our way that we construct divinity, and our ancestors. And this is an open-ended question. There's no right answer. So how do we look at our Torah and our ancestors? Is it, on the one hand, 
the Yiridat Hadorot, I, I could draw this, but you understand that there was Mount Sinai, which was the peak experience, and we're slightly less wise than that first Mount Sinai moment, and the generations slowly descend. And so now, some, what, six or 2,000 years later, we stand on the shoulders of these giants and their piety and their wisdom in the Torah especially, we are in this humility, humble place to look at these great wise people. Option one. This is going to be an open-ended discussion. Option two. Uh, I call this peeing on the shoulders of giants, uh, (laughs) which is Oh, my God, look at how archaic they are. You, that I approached the text knowing, come on, this was, this was a long time ago. Moabites, Canaanites, the Torah. They didn't have our noble, and you're hearing almost in my uh, tone already, I lean slightly one way, but I'm going to give you a third option too, which is, you know what? I know more than these guys know. I'm not going to apologize for them. Let's break it up. Let's acknowledge it and then reconstruct so that we can have a more equitable and just society. Option three, I consider my rabbis and even the Torah as friends around the table so that I envision these people very much asking the same kinds of questions that I ask, how to create equitable, just society. They are struggling with the the same questions of gender equality, of situations, even of questions of cross-dressing, or even hashtag me too, which is right in the middle of this Parsha. I look forward. I really hope we get to that question of don't ask, don't tell, of, well, she didn't really scream, and therefore she must have been complicit. It's right here. Do we look at the Torah, but I want to pull back before we ask this feminist or even uh, question of women's uh, equality within law, do we see the Torah as we are less than and we look to its wisdom from a place of humility? From A, uh, we have been evolved, the Enlightenment theory almost, that we have come so far and then we look at this Torah and then we understand from their lowly archaic place we now understand differently and we can reuse it, or do we see ourselves amongst Mount Sinai in a very present way, and that these are the very same issues that we have always been dealing with, of identity, of boundaries, of enemies, of friends, of family. How about all of the above? <laughs> well, that, Judith, and you get to come later, because I first want a, I want a thesis and an antithesis. Because, come on, who stands on the shoulders of giants and knows their humility... Thank you, love. Welcome, welcome. Great, Mary. Great. Oh, great. Hi. You're good, Audrey. Don't worry. We're in the green books, page one one six seven one one six seven. So, do I have a thesis and an antithesis? Who's standing on the shoulders of the giants and who's taking a pee? Does that does that make sense? Who? I thought it was like a door number. And door number three, but that's where Judith's going, all of them. Or that we're what? But I want to hear first people iterate personally. Wow, this Torah has such genius, and I, in humility, stand there. I am in that place sometimes. David, yes. Welcome. I find myself fascinated the more I study, because I think there's two answers to this for me. It's of course, yes. The first answer is there are eternal truths that keep coming back. The fact is, after 3,000 years, 
There's a lot of stuff that goes on today that's right here that they understood and we learn from what I see. The antithesis, or at least another vector here, is science has given us knowledge that just simply didn't exist when this was composed. And I'm sort of sure that if the rabbis had the benefit of science, Leviticus, the holiness code, might be written in a wholly different way. Relations between homosexual relations, I'm convinced, hmm. would not be as harshly dealt with as it is. So I think it, it stands for both. I don't think there's a question that they didn't know what they were doing and just a bunch of yahoos sitting around a table. Certainly not. These are extraordinary people. Yes. Thinking through very deep thoughts. Yes. So that, that's what it means. I appreciate it. And even just to that point about the homosexual prohibition, there's a list of uh, forbidden relations in Deuteronomy. It does not mention uh, gays and lesbians in this book of Deuteronomy, where it does in the priestly code, yeah, which tells or even now, now that we look at a historical criticism which says these were written by a number of authors perhaps, and a redactor uh, Ezra in about the 5th century before the common era that Deuteronomy was actually a later book, the second mm-hmm. telling Deuteronomus, and therefore we can see that. So with great reverence however, science does certain reconfigurations of the text. Thank you. Yes. I would. I, I, you talked about a triangle. Yeah. With Sinai at the top, right, and, and come and coming down. Uh, I sometimes look at it as an inverse triangle. Interesting. Upside down, where it begins at the bottom with Sinai, and that as time goes on, we take that seed and develop it. And so Sinai becomes the source, if you want. And then there's a whole question. Aliat Hadorot. So this is in Hebrew, Mm -hmm. the rising of the generations, as opposed to Yeridat Hadorot, which is Sinai at the top, and then we get less and less and less further from the truth. And then the other example is maybe it's concentric circles. Ah. Maybe it's not top and bottom, but maybe what it is is a seed that is then developing over a period of time and the circles get wider and wider as our context changes. The amazing thing to me, and I think David uh, alluded to this, is that these were brilliant people and these words, like words of liturgy, really meant something to them. They didn't put them together just to put words together just to make sounds. These were things that had been thought about and that we, living in a completely different context, Mm -hmm. have, if you want, the task of trying to understand why this was so important to them and if you want to translate it into our present context to be able to understand. I can no more understand the world that Rashi lived in, okay, or Hillel or, or Ezra, than they could understand the world that I live in. Okay, that's a position. That's an opinion, and that's a, a, a very interesting one. Anybody on the other side, or just let's have some more thoughts, because I'm good friends with Rashi. Yeah. <laughs> I like his dogs. <laughs> so, uh, my brain, my lineage, I think it's, it's the wisdom contained in the language of what we're studying, for example, today. Mm-hmm. So we 
for if you're in a wage war and someone just built a house, then that guy. So the story is the story. You can approach it your way. David's way, which I agree with this. Bird's way. Or anyway, the trick is, can you find a way of access to this inner spiritual substance of what's trying to be for me? If you're going to wait more, if you step in your wife is pregnant, send them home. Mm -hmm. um, so it's the wisdom of what's contained in the word we study and how we make it relevant in our lives. So I just, the challenge that I have, Mark, and I absolutely agree is, when do I find myself bending over backwards to apologize for my text, which is my Torah, and then I feel inauthentic? And when do I break down the Torah because I find it to be outside the boundaries of my own quote-unquote moral code, whether that be slavery or even dealing with, uh, with a, an adulterous accuser? And then I'm breaking down Torah, and then I feel guilty for really taking my holiest text that I base my life on and destroying it. So, you know, this is in uh, the Mishnah. It says, it is time to do for God. You are destroying Torah. Or they're destroying Torah. It's time to do for God. And they have these both in uh, Hebrew. It says, et lasot Hashem, hefiru Torah hefiru Torah et lasot Hashem. I keep both of these very dear to me. Because I don't want to be a bend-over-backwards apologist every time the Torah or my tradition says something. Oh, no, women are actually elevated. And that's why we keep... And on the other hand, I also uh, I want to revere this law that I, as friends around the table, know that they're trying to get at something different than what it says above the line, so to speak. And I'll just give you right now this first line, and we can continue this if people have more to add. And we're on page 1167 in the Green Women's Commentary. Ki la milchama al oivecha. See... The English says, when you, in parentheses, an Israelite warrior, take the field against your enemies. Well, that's a narrow read in the translation already, because it has to put in parentheses an Israelite warrior. It doesn't say that. It says, because you're going to go out, and there's going to be a struggle against your oys. <laughs> it doesn't say against your enemies. And here, you know, also in Psalm 23, it says, Al-Tsurura, uh, against your enemies. But Tsar is bitterness, and it can be against your Tsuris. <laughs> your Tsuris is just your miseries. Because notice, I mean, the first case is exactly this question of the exterior to the interior, because we could read it. Which is, you see a woman, you've gone to war, and you see someone that you like. You can't take her right away. Certainly, you can't consort with her immediately. That is considered rape in war. I think Melee Massacre, etc. I see. This is a context that you have to take a month. You have to make her look ugly. You have to shave her head. You have to, yeah, you have to wait a month. You still like her? Which is what I would say to young camp people when they were so much in love, in love, in love, wait the Shabbos until Havdalah, until you figure out what your family planning needs are. But just notice, the rabbis are contextualizing the oivecha, milchama war, 
as taking someone from the outside of your culture and tradition and bringing her within your home and what you do to make that kosher, so to speak. Is it about your enemies? And Rashi's first comment on this, Sarah, I'm looking forward to this. Let me say one other thing. Al oivecha, he says there are two types of oivecha. There's the external enemy, but the internal enemy. And the internal enemy is always greater than the external. And therefore, try to understand your motivations. This was my favorite line. I forget what therapist did. Anytime you see someone pointing, you got three fingers back at yourself. <laughs> so figure out what those three fingers are trying to say. And this goes, too, for uh, Islam. The word jihad, you've heard this word jihad. Jihad, ihtihad, ahad, oneness, unity, right? Same, same word, ahad, ihtihad, jihad, you don't... From this Arabic cognate, ihtihad, in the reflexive sense, is the personal struggle. That only after the personal struggle is settled, only till we understand ourselves, can we go out and wage this war uh, against our enemies. So I, I know that was a lot of Torah. It's interesting, oivecha, yeah. that it is your enemy and not the enemy. And it's plural. Right. That, that, that there, there is a possession piece there. It's yours. The enemy that you possess. It's your ois. Oive. Oive Zmir. Yes, Sarah. Well, I admire and respect that there's a waiting period that the man must observe. The will of the woman is not considered at all. So that's obvious. But we're reconstructionist people yes. because we love our tradition, but we want to reconstruct parts of it. So I would, in the next edition of this, <laughs> offer alternatives. Uh, And that she is not right. So then here we go to the uh, apologetics. So I won't apologize for the text. Look how much better it could have been. Look, she's a captive. She's a spoil of war. We also have the story of Dina, which uh, is definitely in the beginning. We're trying to recapitulate the Deuteronomus, which takes it out of context. But there, obviously, uh, uh, Dina was one of the uh, children of Jacob, and Hamor in Shechem, in the, in the beginning of the Torah, uh, they were together. And whether it was a rape or not is still in the Midrash, very unknown. How do we give voice to those, to those individuals and those people? Absolutely, that retelling. <coughs> what you need is uh, the tertio nomus, the third law. Uh, how would I say? Ter- tertilia, tertio nomus. Not the deutero, yeah. the tertio. Excellent. Jody, Mary, David, is that if that's all right with you? Excuse my back. Right, airport. Right, and Air Force pilots. Yes. Right, right. Um, in many countries, and so being reconstructionist, you know, we can just look at the message here and say, oh, this goes for women too. You know, you. That's. Well, I think it goes straight to uh, one of my favorite quotes from the Beastie Boys. Uh, Professor, what's the word for pirate treasure? I think it's booty. Now, 
we have to be very careful about spoils of war. And that is gender non-exclusive. That before we go, and in fact, are we going to take over and inhabit a town because of its riches, or a country for that matter, or an entire region for that matter? What is the ultimate means to that end? And we better be very careful. What does it mean to wait a month before you build the infrastructure to create that that type of uh, equity? Uh, And I give our rabbis the benefit of the doubt that they are struggling with the similar issues that we are. And so I can say that this soldier, this oivecha, when it is a 17-year-old boy, I can really make sure to counsel in using this text. That is not, you're right, that is not this woman. But uh, I tend to apologize for the rabbis uh, vis-a-vis women in this parsha, and we'll see if it bears out, because you'll see there are a number of them. We're going to get, I want to get us through, I'm going to be a little closer reading, uh, because I want to get to the bloody sheet. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? We'll get there, so you'll get there. It's a, it sounds horrible, but I think it's a legal genius, and I have... One of my professors from the UJ, uh, she was like the Maryland librarian. She was, uh, she wrote, there's an anchor Bible dictionary. So she's one of those scholars. But under the term sex, she got to write. This was Elaine Friedland. She was an incredible scholar. She was one of those like very staid and index card holding people. But she was the most unctuous person like intellect that I had ever met and she has a different reading of this that I can't wait to share with you okay please oh Mary oh yeah right the order and then David yes Mary please welcome to Torah the thing that works for me that brings me back when I can come back, I can back and forth, is the relationship of, of the book, the relationships to people and the feelings of human beings toward each other because in so many instances, it hasn't changed. How we view each other, relationships of, of hostility or of love are relevant to how we live today, which is why you can study this for thousands of years, or just every 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 Rosh Hashanah, you have a new edge on what you read from last Rosh Hashanah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I'm a Reconstructionist allows me to clean up or <laughs> change the areas that I find offensive that are not relevant to how I see life today. And so my only caution would be, before we clean it up, let's try to ask some questions as to what they're trying to do. Because in so much of this Torah text, like when you have a parshat mishpatim, the laws, when you have a slave and he wants to stay a slave with you forever, you just put an awe through his ear, you're like, really? What is the context of that? What are they actually trying to prevent or dissuade? And what is the success of this or not? And, Engagement uh, rings do the same thing. Perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. Uh, a great story about Aaron. We had an architectural ring. It was very different. It didn't look like an engagement ring. This beautiful man comes up and starts hitting on her. And she's like, uh, hi, it's an engagement. She's like, that's not an engagement ring. It doesn't even have the normal look. <laughs> 
there. So much. We're going to be on page 1168. But Jody didn't get to see. Oh, she yes, she did. No, she did. David didn't. Oh, okay. Again. Let's go to the text. Good. I know that, yeah. Kitty and Alaish, verse 15. If a householder has two wives, mm-hmm. notice it says, if a householder has two wives, what householder? Kitiena laish. He really, it became upon him, this guy, two women, shtenashim, two wives, one loved and the other unlo- hated. See, it, it, already the translation is trying to be a little nicer. <laughs> But what is it saying here? It's that some that we can pick favorites within our own family structures. Now, the question that I had back to the first one, do you think that these guys, these rabbis, were uh, archaic? Or were they being genius? Because what's the first question that you have as a therapist or someone who's emotionally acute, uh, aware? You got two girls. You love one, you hate the other. <laughs> What's your first question as a, as a, as a thinking, <coughs> emotional individual? Why is that? <laughs> is it really so clear? Is it really so black and white? Or is, is, it, it, or is it a reflection of the way you see yourself? Y- yes. You love part of yourself, and you're really angry at a part of yourself. And so then, therefore, you're actually really harsh on that person, and not just because they are unlike you, uh, but because they are like you. So that's my question behind the question. So if we just eliminate it and only read the nice and fluffy, not fluffy, but the good, sweet, we always love the stranger, I think we're missing. This is some tough love here, but it's asking for equity. But the eldest child, who usually gets a double portion, will uh, came from the hated one. When he wills his property to his sons, he may not treat the firstborn of the loved one in disregard of the son of the unloved one. Okay, now let's go back to Genesis. This is actually a reconfiguration of some of our stories in Genesis. Uh, I'm thinking of a musical. It wasn't my favorite, but it had a lot of... Thank you. And this goes back to Leah and to Rachel. Now let's be very clear. Jacob, he was not happy that he got the bait and switch at the wedding. <laughs> and yes, Leah had, it says kaheh, her eyes were, and in the translations it's dull, but others say dark, kaheh as dark. And I prefer the midrash that Leah, this is getting a little PG-14, <clears throat> She wasn't pretty, but she was sexy. She was unctuous. She had that thang. She had dark eyes. Rachel was pretty. And also her problems in childbirth. She was delicate. Leia was not delicate. All right, I'll stop there. So... In disregard of the love. Instead, you must accept the firstborn and allot a double portion of all he possesses. This is who reshit ono mishpat habechorah. And remember, I said mishpatim mishpat. You're laying it plain. You're creating that balance of equity. 
I'm going to keep going, please, because now we're moving away from women into uh, a rebellious son. And let us all imagine our children here. Okay. So you've got to a guy, ben sorer umore, both wayward and defiant. Does not he shomea bakol aviv uvakol imo, the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and turns away from them, him, and doesn't listen to them. They shall say to the elders of the town, the son of ours, disloyal and defiant, he does not heed in a glutton and a drunkard, and a drunkard, therefore the town's council shall stone him to death. Thus you will wipe evil out of your midst, and all of Israel will hear and be afraid. Now I'm going to do the again this question about if this is an archaic thing, we go to the life of Brian. Yes? Stone him! Stone him! <laughs> Take him to the town! <coughs> do we think this ever happened? Ooh, some say yes. Does it matter? Yes, very much so. That it really happened? Very much. Uh, just give me a second. Okay. If we say, oh, we don't know their wisdom and their genius, well, the rabbis then bend over backwards and say, and just I love how the Talmud reads this. Anybody know this uh, about the rebellious child? This is great. If a, guy, a person has both a wayward and defiant, so not only can he ignore you, he also has to piss you off directly. <laughs> and does not just ignore his father, but he also ignores his mother. So if the mother doesn't speak, but the father does, not enough. You've got to both be negligent and actively irresponsible to both your father and your mother. Then also... The father and the mother did both take at the same time. <laughs> father and mother at the same time saying, this kid needs, we need to go. We need to punish. <clears throat> Powerful. Why, what does that say? How often in a, in a couple? Oh, come on. It's just, be, it's just being a kid, the good cop, bad cop. By the way, hardest part, I think, as a single parent is this kind of good cop, bad cop. I got to, and then hug. I don't, I don't. It's not, I'm not talking corporal, that was a metaphor. And then you've got to. Now, this is, I think, actually the genius of this. It's legal fiction, and this is why it's so important. What do you got to do? Your kid's being a pain in the tush. You know what you have to do? You got to bring him in public in front of everybody and being like, do you see my loser kid? He's been ignoring me. He's been actively, totally disregarding both my father and my... What is everybody in the town looking at you guys? Yeah. Isn't this like the, the thing about capital punishment? Well, they made it so difficult to convict somebody. That's part of it, but what is this public punishment and stoning him to death? What is, how do you really eliminate evil from your midst? I just want you to read it as a modern, that these guys were incredibly complicated in their thinking. What's the best way to eliminate this kind of situation and have a rebellious child? What's the real best way to deal with it? Think the opposite of what this text is saying. Love. And is it a public declaration and say, I can't handle this, kids? Making no. an, example, an example of a kid. And then what's the opposite of that? 
What's going on? What's going on? You're really re- trying to suggest if you want to do it this way, no problem. Let's just make a public declaration. By the way, now you can go back to the Sota case about making this public ritual about the adulterer. Really? That's how you want to deal with this? I think my wife's been sleeping around and therefore I want to give this public declaration of this? Oh my gosh. It's like National Cuckold Day, right? Like, that is not easy stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? That the law is in fact the opposite of what they're asking you to really consider. And making it so hard that there was not once, it says, just like capital punishment, a true, stubborn, and rebellious child. Or, what's the opposite of that? Everybody's got stubborn and rebellious children. And the father and the mother better get on the same page. But in a way, Rabbi, we've kind of gone to the opposite extreme in this culture, where every child gets a trophy, every child gets the... And no parent ever deals with misbehaving of children. It's my child. They can do whatever they want. The, what is it called? This, uh, helicopter? Or no? <laughs> well, no. Not the help. Yeah, the self-esteem thing. We can't hurt the self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, a preschool, actually, Fern Eisenberg, God bless her. She was the preschool director oh, here yeah. uh, 25 years ago. Right, Fern. Sure. How do you know? Oh, from Beth Shalom, from San Francisco. She was at our family preschool. And so she did Emilio Reggio, and you weren't allowed to say no to a kid. I wasn't allowed to say no to a kid. Kid takes a crap on the beam. You can't say no. I highly recommend, what a beautiful mound of, I'm kidding, never, yeah. never happened. Never. <laughs> and you get a trophy. Right. <laughs> you know, we used to be in club and shame, and even, so I mean, when I grew up, it, it, kids had to wear a dunce cap. Oh, you did, really? really? And you remember it? I do, well, I didn't wear it. Sit in the corner. I was put in the corner. I had to sit in the corner. having to wear a dunce cap. Oh, yeah. Right. Whole Peanuts cartoons about that. You remember it in Maryland. We also had wrapping on the fingers, corporal punishment. So now I'm going to ask a harder question. And yet, but we've moved. This is like a case where we say, well, these were stories, but we've evolved since then. I think this is the case of whatever door it was. But no, but so then I'm going to challenge you. Is that this public shaming? This is what's on the books. And I would suggest that because this is the law on the book, the way that it is constructed, they are begging you, don't come to your court with these problems. You can't eradicate evil from your midst in this way. You will not. And yet... Or in any way. You've got to deal with this stuff. So you want to come to me? Fine. My dad used to do this. Okay. You want me to settle your dispute? I'll take everything away from you. It's not going to be he said, she said. It's not you get five minutes, you get five minutes. Okay, they're mine. All of it's mine. You guys sit in the, you know, now you, now you have to read your books. Which my sister loved. Mom and Dad, you're the common denominator. Maybe go home and figure out. I think that's the genius of this law, is that they're saying exactly that. And the later rabbis in the commentary are saying that both parents have to do it. 
you better be on the same page on this if you're going to bring them up. And that's, for me, genius. A, a genius. Okay. You're about the death of your child also. I mean, the, the parents have got to be willing to go and say, okay, do this. That's right. And, and basically do a death sentence for their own child, which is... Probably. And I don't Although mean, look, I don't mean to give you kind of ethical whiplash here, but I think every time we take this step on the apologetic, we got to go back, and there are children who we've, we've shared in this space how difficult sometimes rebellious children are and what they need and what we can do, and there are sometimes we must bring to our higher Elohim, the courts, the justice, to try to find a place of safety and equity and security, and this does provide in some ways that horrible means if you are threatened. Yes? Change the word death to death from opium, death from addiction, death from whatever. And so sometimes you just have to do what you have to do in order to save so if we are going to to move to those some of those pandemics that we're facing, that can't be dealt, I believe, on this individual case. I think we really have to open that aperture. We're going to do... Yeah. Absolutely not. I'm first asking myself what were some of the, the ways that I can, and when I reach those limits, I reach out absolutely to my judges and to my rabbis, and I ask for support. And then ultimately to be able, and that is the power in this. So now I'm turning back from, do you think this ever happened? When we are able to share in such depth of this rebellion and to say, I have done everything in my power and not to be shamed by it or keep it private. So on the one hand, they're saying, you want to do it this way? You better figure it out. But if you can't, then we have this process. And motumat, I just want to say in the Hebrew, which is to be put, it's not put to death. It is certainly deadened, just to your epidemic of uh, opioids. Motumat does not mean shall be put to death. Yumat, it is a passive form of death. You will be deadened. Which I think is a very different translation than capital punishment. And because, look, it says, and they will cause him, all these people with stones, and then there is death as a result of these stones. You, it does say stone to death, but that's not technically what it's saying. It's saying you have this public performance, this performative, and that ultimately causes that demise. So maybe this is the lawyer in me, but, but you know, we were talking earlier about whether the, the people were the peak of knowledge or the bottom of knowledge. Yes, yes, yes. And all that. So this was the law of the land at the time, right? I and mean, this is what the Jewish people were supposed to follow. Isn't that right? I mean, so yes, but yes, but it is Deuteronomus. It is the second law. So this is post-exil. I mean, if we talk about it as far as the development of Torah, there was an initial law that was laid out in Mishpatim, which was an update of Hammurabi in in Exodus. There was an update on kind of 
the, the Lex Talion. Then there was the priestly code, which was trying to set a cultic ritual that was Jerusalem-based. So this is, in fact, a third law that may be looking back at these laws and updating and shifting somewhat. Well, but, Tom but, is the next but if this is something Mission that the, the Jewish people were at the time were supposed to look at and say, okay, this is our guidelines. Yes. This is pretty damn harsh. Right. I mean, a guy, he's a glutton and he's a drunkard and he's defiant and you should go to the town council and stone him to death. I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, nowadays you get you know, a couple of days in county jail. You know, you don't get stoned to death. So then, but to your, and I'm sorry, Rick and Steve. Steve. So Steve. If this is actually legislation that people are actually going to to follow and be like, wow, my son's being a schmuck. Gosh, I wonder what to do. And then I read it. Then that's actually active law. I'm suggesting that this is a gloss about our law that Moses is laying out to say, hey, these are some ways to consider these texts that weren't actionable in, in a legal proceeding because you were asking about that t- context. This is how we best deal with our struggles, our challenges in this context, but it may not have been actual law that was uh, actionable. As opposed to Mishpatim, which I really do think they were trying to figure out back in Exodus how to execute it. That's slightly uh, an interpretive quality, but you're asking yourself in real time, how would they do this? And I'm challenging you. Just like in Leviticus, I'm challenging now, I'm going to really, did they really sacrifice that way? We never found the first temple. I'm not saying that there wasn't, and I'm not saying that they didn't. Some of my best friends are priests. I love them. But I'm just asking what that context is. Okay, wow. Isn't, okay. isn't, isn't that why the Talmud is there? Where they took this, that's the case law. I would and even said, say even more amazing is that the Mishnah uses the very same text of the priesthood to reconstruct out of its context. Totally diasporic. In fact, Ezra's doing this from... Babylon, these texts. So, I'm sorry, now I'm going to get out of order. George. David, I paused on you, but Linda has not spoken yet. George, Linda, David, anytime, anytime. Two, well, I have two points. One, just a quick. Islam, of course, the honor killings in Islam is a direct interpretation of that. Second. Wait, 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 say another sentence about that. Oh, if the girl gets raped, they, it's the girl's fault, and it's... And let's go back, just for Lex Talion, when they cut off your head for stealing. Now, Rebbe Eliezer, there is someone in the Mishnah that says, it's mamash, it's real, hand for hand. But no one, nobody else in the rabbinic literature believes that. He also thought, in the plagues, when it says, dam, blood, tzvardeya, it's in the singular. And Rabbi Eliezer says, yeah, it was one frog. <laughs> Such a huge frog, because it says, Svardea. Sound interesting? Sound familiar to some of our legal jurisprudence? Stay. This is the originalist. That it must be in this context and only, so I must enter their minds. Rabbis were much... Well, I'm not going to say that the rabbis weren't like Clarence Thomas, but they weren't. They were much more uh, theoretical in this. That was two points. So back to that. Yes. The second point is 
This is a cynical interpretation of Reconstructionism and okay. interpretation of Steve's interpretation. I just happened to be wearing this T-shirt today. What does Somebody it say? read it? Oh, I can't read it. You will always find the evidence for what you choose to, to believe. believe. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and I wouldn't even say belief. I wonder. David Hume, the philosopher, would say you have passions that you will take. Take all of your rationale to figure out why it's the rational thing to do. But you're really motivated by desire. <laughs> Mary. Our country is founded on the concept of that there is a higher so I would, I would argue that they find these truths to be self-evident, and because that is in the plural and not the singular, they understand that that higher law was, in fact, coming from, well, it depends. Are you Jefferson or are you, depending on your legal theories, and I'm not going to rap for you, but uh, I, I do think that was challenged. Yeah, Nolan Manuel. Yes, David. Oh, wait. Since Linda. I come from a long Linda. Linda. Say, David, you're. Gosh, he's, he's good. Please, Linda. All right. The floor is yours. I'm looking at this from a mother's point of view. Yes. And I've had some experience with this. You have a child who is so off the straight and narrow. And. Consider all these things, and the law says you must stone him to death, for example. The law says you must bring him into public sphere, at which point they will make that determination. And then they'll stop. Okay, well, all right, so you And have recourse, ultimately, that your institution will support you. Yes. But the, That's the balance I'm hoping we get to. And, and we did allow that child to live. So, I mean, I think it's good that it does... him. We must live by these laws. We must have a law that is grounded in truth, that is... Mot- and, Mary, I'm going to challenge you. It is not in heaven, the Deuteronomy says. It is right here, and it must be pragmatic, and it must be understandable. Gosh, we didn't even get the hashtag me too. All right, but no, I want to say it. So, Linda, the David, you were burning. You were yes. burning presence, and then I wanted to say <laughs> Yeah, good. Fire. From a long line of Deuteronomists, in response to Steve's comment, I think the, the, uh, probably the Deuteronomist lawyer uh, might say, you know, the parents really have the obligation to put the kid to death. In fact, we heard last week that a witness has to be willing to. Yes, pull. that's correct. Pull the trigger. Yes, so let me pull the trigger. If they sto- if you say stone him, you have to be the one not just to cast the first stone, right. but to cast the fatal stone. Yes. So when I look at this, I say, you know, maybe I ought to write something that makes it so hard, so desperate to reach this conclusion that really you're not going to do it until you solve the problems yourself. I just can't imagine a lot of kids were killed by the town council, even with this law. Yeah, and then on the other hand, I think the three strikes rule that made our laws punitive, was it 
was a really legalistic challenge, and yet we don't want laws that can't be enforced or have meaning or... But that's not the same as... No, no, no. Not at all. I agree. I agree. So you're, <laughs> at, you're saying, were they trying to construct... And I'll give you another case of this. I'm trying to, yes, I'm trying to rehabilitate, re, <laughs> reconstruct his... Not so much rehabilitate, because the parents, they're really saying to the parents, if this is this bad, you've got to fix this problem. Don't put it on the child. In fact, Midrash says, the first thing you have to say is, which one of you is the drunkard and which one of you is the glutton? Right. To the parent. Oy vecha. Mm-hmm. Right back to three fingers. Yeah. Well, it's going back to this, when you brought up in the very beginning, what is the relationship between this and us and law and them and now? And that, which is God and divine, this divine, yeah. The divine alignment. Our, how do we know if we are in alignment with what the is asking of us? Please give me the answer. <laughs> yes, that is the big question. But for me... What, what is coming up is a relationship of like feeling, doing, and being. And some of the spheres earlier, and like these are like just different levels of how we are in relationship to this moment, the people around me, the other obligations and choices I choose to obligate myself to or show up to in life, and how does it make me feel? If I have the feeling, then what action do I take? What mm-hmm. do I do? Mm-hmm. Being, well, how am I? How are we? And how, like, who we are is a reflection of the actions we take. So and this feels like a, just a ongoing coalescence, the relationship between us and the stuff. And I will say, as we face Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, if you look at the technology of Yom Kippur, we say that we're just a people of action and not creed. Like when Carter said, I lost it in my heart, the Jews were like, go for it. I mean, as long as you're not doing it. And yet, what Yom Kippur and I think our liturgy truly begs us to consider is what our thoughts are, how they motivate our language and speech, and how ultimately that can lead to these actions, that concentric circle. And then on the virtuous cycle, that if I truly can sit with that the mama, that still small essence of virtue, that then my speech reflects that virtue, and that ultimately my behavior will follow that that same. And how do you invert that? Uh, because here we sound like a really tough society. Yes, Jude. I've been listening to this conversation, which has been amazing today, and what I'm feeling about the the Torah in general is that it's a guide. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect guide, and we don't have to look at every word as literal, nor do we have to look at ourselves as perfect or attempting to be perfect. But this guide is probably the most profound book ever written, giving us a connection to a divine way of life. And the people who wrote it thousands of years ago had, had wisdom beyond right and wrong. There was wisdom there, and that's what we all want for ourselves, to approach and try and keep working toward that goal. And I would just say that that imperfection, those little cracks of interpretation, is perfect. It's life. So, too, each of our souls that have these quirks and a little we're not all the same, that's in the system. So is this book divine? It is so holy. 
Is it human? It is so human. Whether or not the, each story actually happened is not the richness. It's the wisdom of it. Right. Yes, and I got to believe this is my family. Like, I know Joseph. I know Abraham. I know Eve. I know these people. How well do you know Eve? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know these people. And that is really where I, I yeah, oh, so good. Bert, you have already spoken. Sarah is also. So, Sarah, then Bert. And I do want to get to this text because okay. I, I get to reinterpret this and I love this. I'll be quick about this. <laughs> Looking at it from where we are as a psychologically uh, sophisticated society in some ways, we know that the kid who is acting out could be acting out the parents' problems. And if the parents can't deal with it, then we should take the kid into a publicly established problem-solution place, some kind of clinic, where the kid can get himself straightened out. If the parents can come to, that's, that's lovely. But uh, rather than stoning, we have to substitute understanding and positive experiences. Period. Period. I wish it were so easy. Well, but in, yes. In line with what Judith said, I'm re- reminded of a quote from Mordecai Kaplan that our challenge is to take the Torah seriously without taking it literally, which, which I think is, is what you were getting at. The other piece, and it's kind of a subtext here, it doesn't specifically say it. But to me, this says this is not just the business of the parents, and the parents don't have absolute rights over the child. You are, you are not ch- alone. You well, are not the senor. You're not the king. Nor are you. Nor, nor can the parents kill the kid. <clears throat> They're my kid. I get to do what I want. Right, right. Just and like it, the first case, which was this is my spoil of war. Right. What I this do with this limit- woman. To some extent, this is a limitation on the rights of parents. That if things get to that point... That's the inversion. Okay, right. And that, that society has a stake in the family and the family relationship as well. I love it. So let me just give you this last case, because I do want to respect all of your time. And it's been a blessing. Thank you for letting me substitute teach. It's been uh, really, a, really a pleasure. We didn't even misbehave for the substitute <laughs> teacher. Yeah. A little bit. David, a little bit. <laughs> Phil over here. Yeah, he's got it. Okay. So where are we? I'm on page 1171, okay? Now, read it. First shot, the straight read. Mm-hmm. And you're going to, yeah, you know the straight read. So a householder marries a woman and cohabitates with her. Then he takes an aversion to her, okay? And he defames her, saying, look, I married this chick. But then when, I was, when we slept together, she wasn't a virgin, In such a case, the girl's father and the mother should produce the evidence of the girl's virginity before the elders of the town at the gate. At the gate. And if the girl's father should say to the elders, to this party I gave my own daughter to wife, he took an aversion to her, so he made up the charges saying, I didn't find your daughter a virgin, but look, this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. 
And they spread out the cloth before the elders, and the elders then take that party, and you flog him, and fine him a hundred shekel, and give it to the girl's father. For that has been defamed as a virgin in Israel. And moreover, she's got to stay with him the rest of his life. He may never divorce her. However, if the charges prove true and the girl was not found to have been a virgin, then the girl shall be brought to the entrance of her father's house, and the town council shall stone her to death. She did a shameful thing, committing fornication while under her father's authority. Thus, you will sweep evil away from your midst. Ew. That's harsh. That's harsh. It's harsh on a number of counts. <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, I could tell you all that. I only have two minutes because I want to do Mishaberach uh, and Kaddish. So let me just give you what the flip side of this is. So, I am not a, my, my sister is an OBGYN, Dr. Hyman, she had to almost do it. But just let's talk PG-15 now. Yeah. Is there always going to be blood on a sheet if you're a virgin? If you're not, a, if you're a virgin, even if you are a virgin. By the way, is the hymen something that is a perforated thing? No. There's this beautiful description of it. It's like a band of balloons that, you know, if you are, there is a sensitivity. So that does not have to happen. Second of all, okay, they didn't have gene testing here. And do you think that the father and the mother, the day after the, which they now do in some circles of orthodoxy, which is so sad because I think it's a little like what you're talking about with uh, cutting off the hands and stoning, they're literalists. Do you really think that the dad, the day after the wedding, is like, hey, how was it? Great. Okay, you guys are Vegas? Uh, let me see the sheet. <laughs> so now read this as a legal fiction. What really is happening here? He's talking smack about his wife. It's fun for the moment. Now go back to the first case. She was booty. And now he's trying to get out of it. So then what does the parent have to do? All the parent has to do is go to the gate. This isn't even to court. This is going to the middle of Caruso when it is built soon in our time. Well, all the people are going. Right, right. Middle in the gate. Right. Right. Thoroughfare. Corner of Sunset de La Paz. Now, this is what my professor relates. She's just a good friend. She's an incredible scholar. She shows this never, this was a legal fiction to prevent people from talking about their wives and that they cannot divorce. Because right after this, by the way, we don't have ketubah in the Torah, and it's two minutes. We do have Sefer Kritut. There is divorce, uh, a, a paper of divorce. And... It can be motivated, while it is often motivated by the man, there is some protections for the woman in this, but the greatest protection is this. If this guy does this, all the parents have to do is bring a sheet. Once you bring the sheet, not only does the dad get an extra 50 shekel, which the son-in-law is certainly not happy about, but he can never divorce her again. Now, you could say, as a woman, I'm like, great, thanks. (laughs) This guy. But you think, right, and that's tough, but it is on David B. Wow. Is he okay? Yeah. He does? Okay. Got it. Got it. But this is a legal fiction to prevent such kind of dealing with it uh, in this way. And virginity is obviously a precious commodity. And it is. That's the challenge. Women and their sexuality is commodified in some way within this context. And, well, but not exclusively. So... 
How do I, and I think the answer is both with Jody and Judith, to say, I believe it is Torah from Mount Sinai is holy. I am standing on the shoulders of giants. I must use science and all of our tools to not just critique it, but inhabit it. But these are my friends sitting around the table. These rabbis, this Torah, it is not in heaven. It is uh, before us all.